Curried Cow by Ambrose Bierce. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Manalakis. Curried Cow. My Aunt Patience, who tilled a small farm in the state of Michigan, had a favorite cow. This creature was not a good cow, nor a profitable one, for instead of devoting a part of her leisure to secretion of milk and production of veal, she concentrated all her faculties on the study of kicking. She would kick all day and get up in the middle of the night to kick. She would kick at anything, hens, pigs, posts, loose stones, birds in the air, and fish leaping out of the water. To this impartial and Catholic-minded beef, all were equal all similarly undeserving. Like old Timotheus, who raised a mortal to the skies, was my Aunt Patience's cow, though in the words of a later poet than Dryden, she did it more harder and more frequently. It was pleasing to see her open a passage for herself through a populous barnyard. She would flash out right and left, first with one hind leg and then with the other, and would sometimes, under favoring conditions, have a considerable number of domestic animals in the air at once. Her kicks, too, were admirable in quality as inexhaustible in quantity. They were incomparably superior to those of the untutored kind that had not made the art a life study, mere amateurs that kicked by ear, as they say in music. I saw her one standing in the road, professedly fast asleep, and mechanically munching her cud with a sort of Sunday morning lassitude, as one munches one's cud in a dream, snouting about at her side, blissfully unconscious of impending danger and wrapped up in thoughts of his sweetheart, was a gigantic black hog, a hog of about the size and general appearance of a yearling rhinoceros. Suddenly, while I looked, without a visible movement on the part of the cow, with never a perceptible tremor of her frame, nor a lapse in the placid regularity of her chewing, that hog had gone away from there, had utterly taken his leave. But away toward the pale horizon, a minute black speck was traversing the Empyrean with the speed of a meteor, and in a moment had disappeared, without audible report, beyond the distant hills. It may have been that hog. Currying cows is not, I think, a common practice, even in Michigan, but as this one had never needed milking, of course she had to be subjected to some equivalent form of persecution, and irritating her skin with a curry comb was thought as disagreeable an attention as a thoughtful affection could devise. At least she thought it so, though I suspect her mistress really meant it for the good creature's temporal advantage. Anyhow, my aunt always made it a condition to the employment of a farm servant, that he should curry the cow every morning, but after just enough trials to convince himself that it was not a sudden spasm, nor a mere local disturbance, the man would always give notice of an intention to quit, by pounding the beast half dead with some foreign body and then limping home to his couch. I don't know how many men the creature removed from my aunt's employ in this way, but judging from the number of lame persons in that part of the country, I should say a good many though some of the lameness may have been taken at second hand from the original sufferers by their descendants, and some may have come by contagion. I think my aunt's was a faulty system of agriculture. It is true her farm labor cost her nothing, for the laborers all left her service before any salary had accrued, 
But as the cow's fame spread abroad through the several states and territories, it became increasingly difficult to obtain hands. And after all, the favorite was imperfectly curried. It was currently remarked that the cow had kicked the farm to pieces. A rude metaphor implying that the land was not properly cultivated, nor the buildings and fences kept in adequate repair. It was useless to remonstrate with my aunt. She would concede everything, amending nothing. Her late husband had attempted to reform the abuse in this manner, and had had the argument all his own way until he had remonstrated himself into an early grave, and the funeral was delayed all day until a fresh undertaker could be procured, the one originally engaged having confidingly undertaken to curry the cow at the request of the widow. Since that time my Aunt Patience had not been in the matrimonial market. The love of that cow had usurped in her heart the place of a more natural and profitable affection. But when she saw her seeds unsown, her harvests ungarnered, her fences overtopped with rank brambles, and her meadows gorgeous with a towering Canada thistle, she thought it best to take a partner. When it transpired that my Aunt Patience intended wedlock, there was intense popular excitement. Every adult single male became at once a marrying man. The criminal statistics of Badger County show that in that single year more marriages occurred than in any decade before or since. But none of them was my aunt's. Men married their cooks, their laundresses, their deceased wives' mothers, their enemies' sisters, married whomsoever would wed, and any man who, by fair means or courtship, could not obtain a wife went before a justice of the peace and made an affidavit that he had some wives in Indiana. Such was the fear of being married alive by my Aunt Patience. Now where my aunt's affection was concerned, she was, as the reader will have already surmised, a rather determined woman, and the extraordinary marrying epidemic having left but one eligible male in all that county, she had set her heart upon that one eligible male. Then she went and carted him to her home. He turned out to be a long Methodist parson named Huggins. Aside from his unconscionable length, the Reverend Barosus Huggins was not so bad a fellow, and was nobody's fool. He was, I suppose, the most ill-favored mortal, however, in the whole northern half of America. Thin, angular, cadaverous of visage, and solemn out of all reason. He commonly wore a low-crowned black hat, set so far down upon his head as partly to eclipse his eyes, and wholly obscure the ample glory of his ears. The only other visible article of his attire, except a brace of wrinkled cowskin boots, by which the word polish would have been considered the meaningless fragment of a lost language, was a tight-fitting black frock coat, preternaturally long in the waist, the skirts of which fell about his heels, sopping up the dew. This he always wore snugly buttoned from the throat downward. In this attire he cut a tolerably spectral figure, his aspect was so conspicuously unnatural and inhuman that whenever he went into a cornfield, the predatory crows would temporarily forsake their business to settle upon him in swarms, fighting for the best seats upon his person, by way of testifying their contempt for the weak inventions of the husbandman. The day after the wedding, my Aunt Patience summoned the Reverend Barosus to the council chamber and uttered her mind to the following intent. Now, Huggy, dear, I'll tell you what there is to do about the place. 
First, you must repair all the fences, clearing out the weeds and repressing the brambles with a strong hand. Then you will have to exterminate the Canadian thistles. Mend the wagon, rig up a plow or two, and get things into shipshape generally. This will keep you out of mischief for the better part of two years. Of course, you will have to give up preaching for the present. As soon as you have... Oh, I forgot poor Phoebe. She... Mrs. Hoggins interrupted her solemn spouse. I shall hope to be the means, under providence, of effecting all needful reforms in the husbandry of this farm. But the sister you mention, I trust she is not of the world's people, have I the pleasure of knowing her? The name, indeed, sounds familiar, but... Not no Phoebe, cried my aunt with unfeigned astonishment. I thought everybody in Badger knew Phoebe. Why, you will have to scratch your legs every blessed morning of your natural life. I assure you, madam, rejoined the Reverend Barosus with dignity, it would yield me a hallowed pleasure to minister to the spiritual needs of Sister Phoebe, to the extent of my feeble and unworthy ability, but really I fear the merely secular ministration of which you speak must be entrusted to abler and, uh, I would respectfully suggest, female hands. "'Why, you old fool!' replied my aunt, spreading her eyes with unbounded amazement. "'Phoebe is a cow!' "'In that case,' said the husband, with unruffled composure, "'it will, of course, devolve upon me to see that her carnal welfare is properly attended to, "'and I shall be happy to bestow upon her legs such time as I may, without sin,' snatch from my strife with satan and the canadian thistles with that the reverend mr huggins crowded his hat upon his shoulders pronounced a brief benediction upon his bride and betook himself to the barnyard now it is necessary to explain that he had known from the first who phoebe was and was familiar from hearsay with all her sinful traits moreover he had already done himself the honor of making her a visit remaining in the vicinity of her person just out of range for more than an hour and permitting her to survey him at her leisure from every point of the compass in short he and phoebe had mutually reconnoitred and prepared for action amongst the articles of comfort and luxury which went to make up the good parson's dot and which his wife had already caused to be conveyed to his new home was a patent cast-iron pump about seven feet high this had been deposited near the barnyard, preparatory to being set up on the planks above the barnyard well. Mr. Huggins now sought out this invention, and conveying it to its destination, put it into position, screwing it firmly to the planks. He next divested himself of his long gabardine and his hat, buttoning the former loosely about the pump, which it almost concealed, and hanging the latter upon the summit of the structure. The handle of the pump, when depressed, curved outwardly between the coat skirts, singularly like a tail, but with this inconspicuous exception, any unprejudiced observer would have pronounced the thing Mr. Huggins, looking uncommonly well. The preliminaries completed, the good man carefully closed the gate of the barnyard, knowing that as soon as Phoebe, who was campaigning in the kitchen garden, should note the precaution, she would come and jump in the frustrated, which eventually she did. Her master, meanwhile, had laid himself, coatless and hatless, along the outside of the close-board fence, where he had put in the time pleasantly, catching his death of cold and peering through a knot-hole. 
At first, and for some time, the animal pretended not to see the figure on the platform. Indeed, she had turned her back upon it directly she arrived, affecting a light sleep. Finding that this stratagem did not achieve the success that she had expected, she abandoned it and stood for several minutes irresolute, munching her cud in a half-hearted way, but obviously thinking very hard. Then she began nosing along the ground as if wholly absorbed in a search for something that she had lost, hacking about hither and thither, but all the time drawing near to the object of her wicked intention. Arrived within speaking distance, she stood for a little while confronting the fraudful figure, then put out her nose toward it, as if to be caressed, trying to create the impression that fondling and dalliance were more to her than wealth, power, and the plaudits of the populace, that she had been accustomed to them all her sweet young life and could not get on without them. Then she approached a little nearer, as if to shake hands, all the while maintaining the most amiable expression of countenance and executing all manner of seductive nods and winks and smiles. Suddenly she wheeled about and with the rapidity of lightning dealt out a terrible kick, a kick of inconceivable force and fury comparable to nothing in nature but a stroke of paralysis out of a clear sky. The effect was magical. Cows kick not backward but sidewise. The impact which was intended to project the counterfeit theologian into the middle of the succeeding conference week reacted upon the animal herself, and it and the pain together set her spinning like a top. Such was the velocity of her revolution that she looked like a dim circular cow, surrounded by a continuous ring like that of the planet Saturn, the white tuft at the extremity of her sweeping tail. Presently, as the sustaining centrifugal force lessened and failed, she began to sway and wabble from side to side, and finally, toppling over on her side, rolled convulsively on her back and lay motionless with all her feet in the air, honestly believing that the world had somehow got atop of her and she was supporting it at a great sacrifice of personal comfort. Then she fainted. How long she lay unconscious she knew not, but at last she unclosed her eyes and catching sight of the open door of her stall, more sweet than all the landscape smiling near. She struggled up, stood wavering upon three legs, rubbed her eyes, and was visibly bewildered as to the points of the compass. Observing the iron clergyman standing fast by its faith, she threw it a look of grieved reproach and hobbled, heartbroken, into her humble habitation, a subjugated cow. For several weeks Phoebe's right hind leg was swollen to a monstrous growth, but by a season of judicious nursing she was brought round all right, as her sympathetic and puzzled mistress phrased it, or made whole, as the reticent man of God preferred to say. She was now as tractable and inoffensive in her daily walk and conversation, Huggins, as a little child. Her new master used to take her ailing leg trustfully into his lap, and for that matter might have taken it into his mouth if he had so desired. Her entire character appeared to be radically changed, so altered that one day my Aunt Patience, who, fondly as she loved her, had never before so much as ventured to touch the hem of her garment, as it were, went confidently up to soothe her with a pan of turnips. Gad, how thinly she spread out that good old lady upon the face of an adjacent stone wall. You could not have done it so evenly with a trowel. End of Curried Cow by Ambrose Bierce